Hello and welcome to Across the River, a podcast that weaves together death and dying, tarot, and witchcraft. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Sarah. We are not experts of any kind, simply two witches who like to think and talk about death, dying, and divination. We invite you to journey with us across the river. We are recording across the river in Toronto, Ontario, also known as Tecoronto. The land that holds this city is and has been for millennia a home to many diverse First Nations and Indigenous Inuit and Métis peoples, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. The land teaches us about the cycles of birth, death, decay, and rebirth. We're grateful for the opportunity to live in and learn from this land. Hi there, Rebecca. Hi, Sarah. How's it going today? Good. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. I guess we are recording our first podcast episode. This is the first ever Across the River which we are both, uh, I, I, would you agree that we are both excited and also sort of terrified about this venture? A hundred percent. I don't know which is winning out more at the moment. Yeah. At this exact second, I think it's a sort of equal balance of both. <laughs> um, but we thought maybe we would start by just chatting a little bit about what this podcast is and our ideas about what we're hoping to do here and how it came about so and it was uh credit where credit is due it was your idea so would you like to share a little bit about what sparked that idea absolutely um so it actually came about from a tarot reading that i did for you rebecca Um, and one of the cards we pulled was the four of fire which is very much about connecting through passion fun and play and I was thinking about it one day, just just out for a walk, and it occurred to me that this is something that we really have a shared interest in, um, one could even say a passion for, and I thought, why not do a podcast about it? Mm-hmm. Um, both of us are hospice volunteers, uh, we're also witches and tarot readers, and Every time we get together, it just feels like we have such rich conversations, especially around death and dying. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see what would happen if we tried recording it. And uh, yeah, I love that. I was so um, I was so touched when you when you said that, and I agree. You know, I think that um, one of the aspects that I really love when it comes to actually talking about death and dying is that almost inevitably you are having a really rich conversation and i think that people who have had conversations in this space would agree that often what suddenly happens is that you're just really um getting real for lack of a better term you know we we kind of cut through um you know sort of small talk or kind of self-protective talk and suddenly people really open up and they begin to share really what's deeply important to them or they share really profound transformative experiences that they had in their life and they really i my experience at least has been that 
when people come together and talk about death, they often bring their best selves and their biggest and their most open hearts. And um, it's one of the things that I love about being able to have that conversation. And, um, and yet in many spaces, I think you would probably agree that conversation is actually not an easy one to have. Very much so. Yeah, we are, we are in a, um, as you heard in our intro, we are both uh, coming to you from Takaranto. We are in a, um, we're in a sort of capitalist, westernized settler society. The two of us are speaking from that context. And in that context, um, we don't really have a good cultural framework anymore for talking about death. It's not something that people feel comfortable talking about. It's something that's removed from people's lives in a lot of ways. Um, it's not something that we have the same kind of personal experience that even our grandparents had and their, and their parents. Go back only a few generations and death was a little bit more present in people's lives, but um, due to changes in how we um, have medicalized certain aspects of end-of-life care, um, and and where people die, which is often in hospital rather than at home these days, not everyone has an experience of being around death and dying. Not everyone feels comfortable. And uh, we have a very death-phobic culture. We really glamorize youth. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're hoping that this can be a space where we can talk about some of these issues pertaining to death and end of life but also we both have, as Sarah, you just said, we both have the perspective of we're both practicing witches. And that I think informs our approach to this subject. So we will be speaking from that perspective, but I think we're also hoping that there might be perspectives there that will be maybe a different lens through which to view that topic for witches and non-witches alike. Um, you know, whatever your frame of reference might be for your worldview or your spirituality, we're hoping that um, you'll find something within this podcast that can be a doorway for you into the topic of death, or perhaps we might say a ferry across the river. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I loved all of what you just said. That was absolutely beautiful. And um, yeah, I guess... For me, one of the things that really drew me to doing this podcast um, was exactly what you were talking about. I personally experienced, have experienced a fair amount of death in my life. Um, when I was a teenager, I think I was going to funeral after funeral, it mm -hmm. felt like, and I was with my grandmother, my beloved grandmother, when she passed, mm -hmm. and there was no support network for me when I yeah. was going through that. Um, it very much felt like this subject that was taboo um, and that my grief wasn't witnessed, I think was the hardest part, um, by the people even very close to me. Mm -hmm. Through no fault of their own, they also had no framework, exactly as you said. Um, and I think witchcraft and just growing older has really helped to reshape my ways of thinking about death. Mm -hmm. um, and 
I'm really hoping that just by having open conversations here, that might create a little bit of space for others as well. Yeah, I think that's, um, I think, I, I, I would, I, I'm sure that you are not the only person who has had that experience of going through grief and it sounds like that was an isolating experience. Very isolating, yes. Yeah, and I would imagine that there were probably people going through that exact isolation right now. And, um, you know, you've been on that side of it. I know I myself have been on the side of it where someone I love has lost, uh, you know, a family member, someone very beloved to them, and I haven't known what to do. You know, mm -hmm. there was a time when I was younger when, um, you know, I... I I had an experience like that and um, you know yeah really found that you know I myself kind of hit a wall in terms of how what I felt I could offer or just not even knowing what to say or what to offer so mm -hmm. I did what I think a lot of people do and I I took distance you mm -hmm. know I didn't offer anything and that's been an experience that I've wanted to grow past I think that's part of why I'm interested in this area of, of work now. Um, but you were talking earlier about frameworks for interacting with death or for how you would approach it now. And I think one of the frameworks we're both interested in is tarot. And you are a professional tarot reader. I am. Um, and uh, we will certainly plug your <laughs> professional tarot reading <laughs> at the, maybe at the end of this podcast. But um, as a tarot reader, would you uh, want to talk a little bit about, you know, so the, the three threads of our podcast here are sort of death, tarot, and we maybe we can say divination as well, because we both also divine in other ways than tarot. Um, but to keep it simple, we have death, tarot, and witchcraft. And I think we find that both the tarot and the witchcraft inform how we give us uh, ways to think about death. So would you want to talk a little bit about um, how you use tarot to investigate these ideas and, and maybe how we're going to do it a little bit on this podcast? Absolutely. So I tend to think of tarot almost as like a framework for life. Yeah. Um, and that includes death. And I think there is a huge place for exploring mortality, exploring grief, um, exploring connections to our ancestors mm -hmm. who have passed. Um, I think for today we were sort of narrowing in a little bit on the death card. Yes. And I thought that was such a brilliant place to start because the death card is not, at least in my experience, about physical death. Mm -hmm. It is about change, cycles of completion and renewal, cycles of death and rebirth in the metaphorical sense. And weirdly, the more I was thinking about this card, um, the more I was feeling like we can explore through the death card what we will eventually explore with our own physical deaths and the losses of loved ones which is that there's the wisdom in that card around how to accept change, how to accept 
the completion of certain cycles in our lives. And it can really help us to hold all of the feelings I find that can come with that. Because there have been times when I've pulled the death card for myself or for clients and it's been a really welcome card to see. It's been about um, something ending that really is meant to be over. Uh, and there is a freeing aspect to that. Also, it can help us to sort through fear of change, mm-hmm. fear of completion, um, which I think, uh, as you were talking about the way that we can't, that we're not as a society very good at talking about death, mm-hmm. I think we're also as a society, um, especially with capitalism and this idea of growing, growing, growing yes. constantly. Um, that we also don't know how to talk about metaphorical death. So, yeah, that's kind of where I was at with, I I know you asked me about tarots (laughs) in general, but um, with the death card specifically, I thought that was a really great entry point. Absolutely. And everything that you just said is, um, you know, it resonates very deeply with me, and I was really struck especially by what you just said about how sometimes that card is welcome. Um, Because one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is how your clients react when that card arises in a reading. Um, And I think that's an interesting thing to explore because um, I don't know if you've experienced this. It's my sense that sometimes in a reading when the death card arrives on the table, with a thud, you know, that sometimes it can cause a certain amount of apprehension. Mm-hmm. And um, that was one of the aspects that I was thinking about with this card as well, as I was thinking about how to, you know, what to bring forward onto this podcast is that when, I think when we're learning tarot, one of the things that we learn about this card, as you just said, is that it's often a card of change. Um, but it's also a card of ending. Mm-hmm. And... I loved the way that you balanced both of those aspects as you're talking about this card. I wondered if sometimes when we emphasize the change nature of the card, um, I think I, and I'm speaking from my own experience in readings I have done for myself and, you know, others, um, you know, I wonder if sometimes by leaning into the change aspect, if I'm not somewhat avoiding the death aspect and Yet, I think if we are able to connect with the death nature of the card, as you said, it can actually help us let go of that which is no longer moving us forward in our lives. Or that just which, yeah, as you said, which we no longer need or which is no longer a good situation for us. Um, I agree with you that I think there's a real reluctance to let many things end. Um, I think we struggle with ending. And if we can begin to learn from this card, the reality I think of the universe is that everything ends. Um, you know, like there is, there, is no, there is no thing that we are aware of as humans that is eternal. You know, mm-hmm. everything that we are aware of 
comes to an end and that is required so that other things can then arise mm -hmm. and that to me is the is sort of the heart of the transformative nature of this card because those endings are transitions um, there's a resonance there with some work that I've recently been training to do which is um, I have just recently finished a certification course to train as a funeral celebrant which is someone who can create um, and write and then enact funeral funeral ri rituals um, or rituals around end of life or memorials or celebrations of life or however people want to create this but I think to me part of the point of a ritual is to integrate on a level sort of below thought and below language a transformation that has happened mm. and the death of someone you love or indeed the death of someone who just is part of your life or someone who you have a difficult relationship with or someone that you admire or you know any of these things this is a this is a change from one way of being to another you know they are present they are not physically present and for me I think the ritual aspect of it is to help our um, our, our non-linguistic selves our, our lower than conscious thought you know not the mind part of us but the heart part of us or the soul part of us begin to understand what has happened and to embody that change in some way um, Feel I've gotten a little bit off track from talking about the death card specifically but I to me I think there are connections here with um, how we respond to death when it actually arises in our lives not just in the context of a reading which of course the reading is a microcosm of what we are mm -hmm. experiencing and a way of helping us connect with what we're experiencing and make sense of it yeah. Oh, that was just so beautifully stated. And I don't think a digression at all. I think um, just an evolution of the conversation. Yeah. Um, I love what you're saying about how ritual um, commemorates, maybe isn't the word I'm looking for, um, marks in some special way a transition of some kind. Yeah. Um, I think with, uh, I'll bring it back to the death card because I'm yes. the tarot one, but I think that that's exactly what it can do for us in a reading. Again, obviously not. The reading is only uh, a small part of any kind of um, reflection or life change or but it can sort of hold that space that I think that you find um, ritual can hold, mm -hmm. uh, which is an acknowledgement of what has happened, um, an acknowledgement of the bigness of it. And mm -hmm. so it's interesting you were asking me how uh, I often find people react. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because... Uh, almost all of my clients have been witches or quite spiritual. <laughs> uh -huh. So I don't usually get the like, oh my God, um, what does this mean? <laughs> uh, kind of reaction. But there, it's, it does sort of seem to be like half and half. Again, that balance of sometimes it's incredibly welcome. Sometimes there's this feeling that a change wants to happen and it can kind of be this like, yes, yes, yeah. that is exactly what needs to happen mm -hmm. for you right now 
and sometimes it can mark the passing of something that we have deeply loved even when it has not necessarily when it is not necessarily in alignment anymore mm-hmm. um, and letting go is a process that yeah again I think we don't have a good I'll keep using the word framework because I think it's perfect a good framework for I think we like I'll even speak for myself I'm really bad at finishing books (laughs) (laughs) fiction like novels in in particular Um, I just don't want them to end (laughs) and I am yeah I am I'll 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 say it I'm one of those people that like change I I don't like it I dig myself in Mm -hmm. I say nope 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 and um but it's inevitable it is exactly Mm -hmm. as you were saying and I think I feel this way about all change but death specifically it's it's the natural way of things it is the natural things have to end so that new things can come in yes and so yeah that's oh god how do i finish that thought that's (laughs) (laughs) thus concludes my thought (laughs) i love that idea of you having like a shelf full of books just with bookmarks before the last chapter just like all right that's far enough (laughs) put that there um but i mean i think that's such a good illustration of that impulse right you're enjoying something it's wonderful you're in this world things are beautiful you know it's an engrossing story and you don't want to say farewell to that world or those characters that you've connected with and I think actually that's sort of illustrative of um, I, I think we all have been in places where we've been sort of in a certain story. Mm-hmm. We know that that story is about to wrap up. You can feel it, mm-hmm. whether it's you need to change jobs or you know you have maybe an aging parent or some some story that you've been in for a long time perhaps. Mm-hmm. It's coming to its concluding chapters, and we can resist, 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 resist. Um, but unlike what you can do with a book, you can't just put it on a shelf. No. And I mean, you have kind of seen me going through this process of, um, you've seen me going through a long process of trying to figure out, for instance, what my next phase is going to be in terms of the work that I'm doing. And it took a long time to arrive at um, doing this training as a funeral celebrant Mm -hmm. and now that I have done the training it's also taking me a long time to uh, (laughs) actually launch the thing and so and I know that what I am doing is resisting the change that that's going to ask of me Mm -hmm. in my life yeah Um, maybe this is a good time actually for us to introduce ourselves a little bit more Um, we were going to introduce the podcast and then introduce ourselves and then we got into as we often do um, a good conversation Mm -hmm. so um would you like to say just a little bit more about, you know, who you are and um, maybe what what brought you to? You've spoken a little bit about what brings you to this area of interest, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes, absolutely. So, hi, I'm Sarah Nakamura. I am a tarot reader, uh, and well, tarot obsessed. Really, you can find me on YouTube doing tarot ASMR videos or rooting for myself constantly. 
um, probably more than I should. <laughs> um, and I'm also a hospice volunteer, uh, which was something that Rebecca got me interested in. Mm. Um, well, I got myself interested yeah. in it. You all had you had to already, yeah, yeah, really, all you had to say was, um, "I do this thing." <laughs> <laughs> um, and. Yeah, it, it really just brought together, volunteering, uh, really just brought together a lot of things that I'd sort of been working on, I guess, in terms of my journey with mm-hmm. death. And I kind of just got to this place where I was like, I think I can hold space for this. Mm-hmm. I think that I am comfortable enough I mean, we're never completely comfortable with death. I don't think no. even, even, even us. I mean, I think about my own mortality and we, even more the mortality of, um, of the people that I'm really close to. Yes. Me also. <laughs> more to say about that, but I'll, I'm going to hold that thought, but Oh, on. definitely do. <laughs> um, so yeah, it just seemed like the right time and that I was in the right place to be able to hold space for people who are on their journey out of this world. Um, oh, and even then, I felt like I wanted to use a euphemism. Who are dying? Isn't that interesting? Yes. When we hear ourselves... Um, yeah, just as a quick side note, you know, I've been putting together this website for, mm-hmm. um, you know, what I am trying to offer is ceremonies about death. Mm-hmm. What am I writing on the website? A life well lived, celebration of life, loss, you know, Mm -hmm. all of the language that we use to get around the word death. Um, Because um, it's so powerful, that word. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think there's something very interesting about witches and words of power and calling things what they are, calling things by their name. Mm -hmm. That's part of the craft, or at least for me, that's part of the craft of being a witch. Very much so. Understanding what words, you know, we, what do we do with words? We spell them. They are, they are powerful. Um, and so I think that's such an interesting point. Anyway, carry on. I'm sorry to digress in the middle of your introduction, but I, you know, I think that's so, um, even for us who, um, are kind of choosing to go into this space, Mm -hmm. um, there's a, the reluctance is part of the journey. Very much so. Very much so. And no, please digress away. Um, I think that was probably it for my <laughs> intro. Anyway, totally interrupted you. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're learning this as we go. Yeah, we're learning this as we go. <laughs> um, um, but yes, um, volunteering has really opened my eyes. I think maybe that's not even the. It has deepened my understanding of what it is to be alive, mm-hmm. actually, because I really do think that I don't think that life and death are two opposite things. Yeah. I think they are part of the same spectrum and that maybe the one common denominator that every single person on this planet and every being as well mm-hmm. um, has in common is that we will one day die. And there's something really powerful about saying, okay, I see that, and I am going to 
do my small part to make the life of this person that I'm volunteering with um, as rich and as alive mm-hmm. uh, as it can possibly be. Would you say that, I would say that one of the um, most notable characteristics of, of the people that I have worked with in my, in my time as a volunteer is that they are immensely alive. Um, they are so full of um, many years of life, both of them, you know, both of the clients I've worked with so far have been, um, you know, towards the end of their lives. Um, but they are, they are very, very much alive when I am with them, you know, when I've been with them, it's, um, they are dying. That is why we're with them, but they are so very much here and so full of of life and I I fully agree with you that you know our role is is to offer what we can so that they can continue to live as richly as as is possible as fully and as richly and um, I'm very aware that like I'm offering a really small portion of that um, in terms of the scope of of supports you know that are around mm-hmm. the people we're working with but um, but you know, it it feels important to do. This is where I'm I'm running out of words. Um, yeah, it feels important to do. Perhaps the end of that. That's the end of that thought too. <laughs> it feels very important to do. Um, it feels like showing up in a way that. It was funny when I was. It Rebecca told me about this about a year before I started, and. It took me that long to be to to really think of myself as like someone who could do the work. Yeah. Uh, and I really asked myself, "Who are you to do this?" And I think I've told you this before. Mm-hmm. And it finally occurred to me, "Who am I to not mm-hmm. do this work?" Uh, when I feel a calling towards it, and I feel. Um, that I am capable of it. So, yeah. Yeah. I think we share that in common. Um, you know, I don't think I've shared with you too that like it took me a while. I was aware of um, hospice volunteering through my mom who volunteered for many years when I was younger and then eventually um, worked professionally in the field as a social worker. Um, and so, you know, from... I can't remember when she started. I think maybe I was in June. No, I think I was in high school when she began doing that work. And so she was just around dying people. And um, and I remember thinking, no way will I ever do that. I could never do that. And I remember saying that to her once. And she said, well, you know, you're 17, so of course you can't do it. You know, it wasn't her exact words, but she was like, you are a child. <laughs> um but I, you know, I was, I was aware of the work. I wasn't feeling the pull toward it at that point. Um, it was something that gradually began to occupy a certain amount of brain share. And like you just described, a, beginning to have a feeling of, I think I could do this. Um, and there was a very transformative moment for me. Um, I was at... Um, for, for a while, I was at the University of Toronto. I was um, not completing a graduate degree. But while I was there not completing that degree, I took a wonderful course from a professor there who, um, my background's in music, and he would go and play music in um, 
residential hospices for the clients there. So he would just go and play, play um, you know, Bach suites on a clavichord for, for dying people. And then he developed this curriculum about what role music can play in end-of-life care and hospice care. Um, and that was an incredible course. Um, his name is Kevin Komisarek. In the interest of naming my teachers, he was a very foundational teacher. Um, and that kind of reawakened my my interest, but it was still many years past that that I that I eventually decided to take the training, and I didn't decide to do the hospice training until I had also some years before that finally listened to the part of me that was going, "You're a witch." So I had to develop the witchcraft first before I felt like I could undertake the training to be a hospice volunteer. Um, and that seemed to me to be the right order. And that's something that we've spoken about together as well, that as I was, you know, initially it was just a pull that I felt within myself to try and learn about witchcraft and develop myself into, um, into a witch who was actually practicing and not just reading and thinking about it, which I did for, we won't talk about how long I did that for. <laughs> um, but as the practice began to develop, I just began to think, okay, well, you know, so great. Now I seem to be a witch of some sort. Why? Why am I a witch? What can witches do that maybe not everyone can do or what can I do as a as a witch you know what is it gonna why have I done this what do I need to bring into the world through through being a witch and and one of the things that was beginning to emerge was that witches are interested in the boundaries between places and the boundaries between states of being in uh in liminal places uh which is if you hang out with witches for any length of time, we're like, oh, liminal spaces. Um, we love a liminal we space. love them <laughs> we, so much. We like a liminal space. Do you have a threshold or a boundary or a hedge? We're just like, yes, give us give us liminal spaces. But where is more liminal than, than being with someone who is at the threshold of death? Mm-hmm. And I do think that part of my, you know, part of my interest is, is wanting to approach and learn from that threshold. Um, but also, I think because we, through our practice, are trying to develop the abilities to be in those spaces, and they're not always comfortable, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to use, at least you know, speaking for myself, I want to be able to um, use that skill set in a way to be able to be with someone who is drawing closer to that boundary. I very much resonate with what you're saying there. It feels, I think the same for me. I've never quite thought of it that way, but I don't think I could have done this without learning about and becoming a witch first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that you have to be a witch to be able to do no. this. But I think that for both of us, witchcraft at the base of it feels like a calling to help Mm -hmm. in some way um help ourselves first definitely but I think both of us we've talked about this have this sense that it can't just be for us 
that's beautiful uh, yeah. and wonderful and necessary. But witchcraft to me, connecting with the earth, connecting with spirit and magic, all of that, I need to be able to give back. Mm-hmm. I can't just be taking all of that and not returning something. And this feels like a beautiful way to use, I think, I think you're right, the skills of witchcraft, but I think also just our personal inclinations yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, in a way that feels restorative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really agree with all of that. Um, yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that I noticed about the people I was training with, and maybe you noticed this too, is that obviously, you know, not everyone was not everyone was a witch. <laughs> I don't know. I might I might have been the only witch in my cohort. And the other thing is, um, you know, I'm, that's not something I'm open with my clients about. Mm-hmm. Um, that is that's we're talking about frameworks. That is a framework for me through which I approach this work. But it's not something that I am um, open about in all circumstances. You know, I, I, in most cases, I think it's not appropriate actually to share it with my clients, mm-hmm. unless you know one day I happen to have a client who is a witch or perhaps who's pagan, and then maybe you know to connect with someone mm-hmm. who who has similar a similar approach. But um, but I would say that most of the people we trained with, everyone you know we trained with, wanted to help. They wanted to give back. Mm-hmm. They felt called to do the work. They felt that they could do this kind of work. And I think lots of them had, let's say, a spiritual framework yes. um, of some sort. They had an, an inner life of the spirit yes. that was supportive to them as they were engaging in this work. Um, even, I think, if if that framework was, um, you know, agnosticism or, or atheism, they still had perspectives about um, how we can, that it's sort of a, a fundamental human need to make sure that we care for our dying and our dead. Mm-hmm. And they want to be closer to that kind of care. We talked at the beginning of this podcast about the kind of remove that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, these are these were all folks who were drawn to be a little bit closer to that care. Uh, I do hear that lawnmower, uh-huh. and we'll have to see if that's coming through on the audio or not. <laughs> I guess we will find out. I guess we'll find out. Um, I think we want to try and use this conversation anyway, but um, yes. we do apologize if you're hearing the wonderful tones of a Toronto lawnmower <laughs> outside of this uh, window. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love what you were saying there, and it. Um, I kind of want to just go a little bit on the idea that, I mean, witchcraft is such an essential part of like who I am and who Rebecca is. But I like the idea of remembering that spirituality doesn't have to necessarily mean um, a belief in something beyond. Yeah. It can also be a belief in humanity, um, Mm -hmm. a belief in any kind of framework that reminds us that we are connected. Yes. And I think for both of us, we find that witchcraft does an amazing job of that. But it doesn't need to be yeah, that no. specifically. 
the, the metaphor I've settled on for that is like witchcraft is the language that I'm most fluent in mm-hmm. in terms of um, having a communicative relationship with the broader universe um, this is the, the, the symbolic and spiritual and ritualistic language in which I feel the greatest fluency mm-hmm. um, but I think there are um, as many such languages as there are people Yes. And some of them are codified broadly in certain religious traditions, and some of them are completely individual. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and I think that as you know, we sort of approach death work, we encounter a multitude of, of these things. And so, yeah, I, I fully agree with you, and I think we've been pretty clear. But yeah, we don't think that we don't think that you know, which the witchy approach and this death work are sort of like inextricably linked you know I don't think that we're like specially capable because we're witches but mm-hmm. I think that because we're witches we bring certain approaches that allow us entry into this space very much but so. other folks are going to bring their own approaches and they have their own doorways very much so very much so but um we are witches here yes so we are <laughs> we will be speaking from that particular context yes indeed but um it is really interesting to see what draws people to um, death work or even an interest in it. Yeah. Maybe I will take that as a segue to kind of introduce myself for a second yes, too. You know, we, so we got a little off track. Well, this is what ha- I think this is why we wanted to start this podcast <laughs> is because we get we get talking and we, we find ourselves going down many an interesting pathway and um, mm-hmm. and digression. But um, yeah, I I think some of my interest, well, you know, where does it come from, right? Like you, it's sort of the total of your of your experience. Um, but my own background is in music. Um, that's what I primarily do as my occupation. I'm a professional singer um, here in Toronto, and. Um, it was the the order of of development here was like music and then witchery and then death work and they kind of went in that order but I do think that being a musician is another way of um, creating a certain kind of space creating a container for people to connect with something a little bit bigger it's a way of blurring boundaries and of you know accessing kind of other sorts of realities um and i think that that probably most people have had experiences of kind of transcendence with music where you do feel like a connection to something i know you're a musician as well so like um whether you practice music or listen to music i think i think music is one of the ways that we connect to something that feels bigger than us very much so back on a cliched um (laughs) (laughs) no very much so but and it also i think connects us to that place that you were talking about before that non-verbal deep feeling place within us that can hear um especially i'm thinking about classical music and the way Mm. that one reacts to that when it has no lyrics yeah yeah um and yet we all go on an emotional journey together when we listen to it Mm -hmm. that is both individual but also uh, i think especially with music when 
listened to collectively, yeah, um, it is there's an energy that happens yes. there. Yeah, there's a shared experience. There's a communicative experience. Mm-hmm. It really is a kind of magic. Um, yeah. It it alters, it brings you into non ordinary reality, which is also something that a lot of our witch practices intend to do. I mean, I think when you do a tarot reading, you're also in a non ordinary reality. Oh, very much so. Um, so that's sort of my background, and I, I think a lot of the things that I've been deeply interested in my life have been um, ways that people have tried to connect with the non-ordinary. Um, I'm uh, Now that I'm trying to talk about introducing myself, I suddenly <laughs> abruptly find myself at a loss for words. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the music um, kind of concurrently grew along, you know, along with the interest in witchcraft arrived early. I think I was around 13 when that first showed up. Maybe one of these podcasts will talk about how we came to um, thinking I, of ourselves as witches. I would love to do that. that uh, maybe that's a conversation that we'll have uh, on, a, on a subsequent podcast. Um, but yeah, so... Um, you know, I'm here. I'm in. I'm in Takaranto. I am working as a musician. I'm hoping to soon begin working as a funeral celebrant and creating and offering ceremonies. Um, I'm a witch. I'm a sometimes diviner. Sometimes I read for others. Sometimes I read for myself. Sometimes I fall into a slump and don't do any readings at all <laughs> for a while. Um, but yeah, I think as this unfolds, we'll probably continue to share more about what brought us to each of, brought us each to the places that we're in as well. A hundred percent. I think yeah. I think it would be wonderful to share um, different journeys that we've been on. Yeah. Um, for me, I mean, I think I would love to talk about my journey with tarot. Yes. Um, and also with witchcraft mm-hmm. and with death. I guess we've gone into death a little yeah. bit today. Yeah, we've talked mostly about that, and I yeah. think. Um, you know, I think that's one of the things that we're both really hoping that this podcast can be a place for that conversation. I think we're lucky in that there are, increasingly, there are more and more conversations happening about witchcraft or other, you know, kind of spiritual approaches that are adjacent to or similar to mm-hmm. uh, a witchcraft approach. Um, and there's similarly more space available to talk about tarot as well. You know, that's something that I, I'm certainly noticing is um, becoming a, a more common topic of conversation as people start to explore that as, mm-hmm. a, as a tool and as a practice, and that's happening. Um, and there are some spaces where you can have a conversation about death. There are. There um, are. And actually, I think maybe today we don't get into it, but you have hosted Death Cafes. I have been lucky enough to have the opportunity to host a couple of death cafes. Yes, and I think that is something in future that I would love to have you share a little bit I about. Would, I would, yeah, I would love to talk about that experience. Um, mm-hmm. That was certainly um, a huge growth experience for me, and I think one reason why I'm progressing forward and investigating other ways to kind of enter that territory. Um, those were both through a wonderful festival here in Toronto called Witch Fest North. Um, which is an amazing, uh, speaking of community gathering, that's uh, how we met each other. That is how we um, met. And so we'll, maybe we'll um, make sure that we 
connect to Witchfest North in the show notes once we figure out how to do show notes. Once we figure out once how we to figure do show that out, notes. we'll uh, we'll make sure that we offer connection to that into our own uh, very our, much our own info as well, um, so we can connect to each other. But I wonder if we should start um, maybe moving toward our last segment here, which is we were going to talk a little bit about our favorite some favorite versions of the death card because um well we both we both have some tarot decks a few <laughs> a maybe <couple>. just a <laughs> few some quotation marks um and you know and i'm sure we have certainly ogled decks beyond those that are currently on our shelves as well oh i've got a list um but maybe we could just share a little bit about some favorite versions of this card and versions that speak to us and um we'll try to offer uh, a way to view and connect with those decks as well oh very yes um especially because uh the two that i have pulled for today are from um wonderful indie creators who are both non-binary and um, did a really good job, I think, both white, um, but I do think did a very good job uh, with portraying diversity mm-hmm. in their decks. So would you like to go first? Well, you have the cards in your hand. I do so have the maybe cards I'll, in my hand. <laughs> maybe you're ready to go. <laughs> I think I might be. So, um, of course, I wish I could show these to you, but I've mm-hmm. pulled two cards today. One is from the Numinous Tarot, and one is from the Fifth Spirit Tarot. And as we said, we will definitely make sure that you can find those. So the Death card in the Numinous Tarot, which was the first one that I thought of, and this was actually my first ever deck, and I still love it very dearly. Um, In this card, we see a figure uh, who presents, let's say, as femme, They are surrounded by flowers and there is a pentacle behind them. And the most interesting thing about this particular personification of death is that they have not one, but six eyes. Wow. Um, Sorry, when I say not one, I meant they have the regular two, Uh but then they don't just have a third eye, they have a sixth eye. Okay. So... Firstly, the pentacle, um, which to me really speaks to the wholeness of life um, and the completion of it. And that completion of it includes death, includes change and transformation um, and closing of doors so that other doors may open. The flowers are all funeral flowers and to me that is again when I was talking about just that acknowledgement of the bigness of what is happening in Mm -hmm. this card um, and in whatever life situation it is speaking to um, those funeral flowers are an honoring of what is passing and the thing I love the most about this is the many many eyes that this character has that is remarkable it is um, here I'll let you see that wow to me what that really speaks to is the clarity that death can offer Um, both real physical death and metaphorical death i it was interesting as i was thinking about what i wanted to say about this card i was listening to an interview on the radio with um i think it was eleanor wachtel uh I'm 
forgetting the name of her show. Well, I will only remember after we stop recording, but yes. Yeah. Uh, you know who I'm <laughs> yeah, talking about. Show. Hopefully, hopefully the listeners will as well. Um, yes. So she was interviewing a writer called Friedrich Bachmann, and he struggled um, with very, very bad anxiety his mm. entire life. And one of the things he was talking about uh, when he finally began to um, deal with his anxiety in a way that was helpful to him was that he would remind himself that he is going to die. Mm. Um, when and he that helped was, with the anxiety. It helped with the <laughs> yep. anxiety for yes. him. Uh, he was talking about how <laughs> when he was in the nitty gritty of it and it was just like, hyper focused on this one little thing that could go wrong he brought it back out and he said will this matter Mm. when i think about when i come to the end and i think about the context of my life um will this thing matter Mm -hmm. and nine times out of ten it really didn't to him what mattered was that he was not even his books actually to him what mattered was that he was a good father mm-hmm. and a good husband and tried to be a decent person. Those were the things. Yeah. Everything else, it wasn't important. And not important as in trivial, um, because the other thing about death is that it makes every moment in our lives mm-hmm. important. Um, but that kind of clarity, that kind of vision that can come with accepting the natural order of things dying, um, I think, was is a really, really beautiful thing that this card can show. Yes. Magnificent. It's an absolutely gorgeous card. We will try to make sure that you're able to see an image of this card. We'll do our best to find one for you. Um, one of these days, because you mentioned... Because you mentioned the word trivial, one of these days I would love to talk about the etymology of that word. Oh, I am not familiar with it. Maybe I'll... We're coming up to an hour. I wonder if I should do it now or if I should save it. Just do it now. Okay, here we go. So, trivial. Um, I learned this from a blog called Useless Etymology. Okay. I'm afraid I don't remember the author's name, um, but you can find her. I think she's at uselessetymology.com. Um, and she just blogs about the etymology of certain words. Okay, so the word trivial uh-huh. to us means something unimportant or inconsequential. Da, 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 da. When you break it down, you have trivia or three ways really and it pertains to a three-way crossroads huh those crossroads it's it's from latin trivia um and the the it originates because the places where roads met so say a three-way crossroads were places where people would come from all of their respective villages and whatever and they'd get together and they'd exchange goods and they'd barter and they'd gossip and they'd chit-chat and they'd, you know, dish the dirt. And um, and so the kinds of activities and conversations that took place at these meetings of the three ways came to be known as trivial. <sighs> relating to the, three, the place where the three ways meet. Mm-hmm. Go down just one level and you and I know that at the place where three ways meet, you find Hecate of the three ways. <laughs> um, and in fact, the, the Greek goddess Hecate, or Hecate, however you want to pronounce her name, was known as Trivia in Rome. 
mm-hmm. because she was the guardian of the crossroads mm-hmm. and is a, a figure um, I think that both you and I feel a connection with. Very much so. A goddess connected with with the crossroads, with the underworld, with death and dying, and spe- explicitly and specifically with witchcraft. Yes. Um, and so I love that this word trivial kind of is itself a, a meeting place, a crossroads of the utterly mundane with just underneath it a place of such um, folkloric power and magical power. The crossroads in all folklores mm-hmm. are places where magic happens and where you might, you might meet a deity or you might meet the devil or you might meet a spirit or you might go there and perform a working. Um, or it might be a place of death. Sometimes that was where people were executed at crossroads. So you, the the sort of um, magically powerful and non-ordinary intersecting just one layer below this word that we use to mean banal. Oh, I love it. It's one of my favorite. I as soon as I read that etymology, all the hair stood up on the back of my neck, and um, I think it's so in some ways like trivial is a, is a word to describe what we're talking about here. You said yourself, we all die. It is the most ubiquitous experience. All things end. So in some ways it is so ordinary as to be meaningless. Un- meaningless. And yet when you think about the specific, every individual death is this you know, cataclysmic up, upheaval. Mm-hmm. The, the transformation that happens both in the person who's dying and the, and the people who are surrounding them is, um, there's almost nothing that is more transformative. And so, I don't know, I, that's a, it's, it's, when I, when I learned that that was the etymology of the, and it's right there in plain sight, like we said, words are spells. When you spell out trivial, trivia, there it is, three ways. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I'm never going to think about useless trivia the same way again. Or you'll know something about it. Mm -hmm. You'll know a a hidden meaning. That is so beautiful. And and it really just ties into what I was trying to say with, um, with, <laughs> uh, and that was exactly what I was trying to say. Where each moment, as trivial as one might consider it to be, is so meaningful mm-hmm. because of that. Because it will end. Yes. Because even just the smallest little things that we go through that we think are completely insignificant, they are significant because this is the one life that we are going to get to live in this, for myself, I'll say in this incarnation. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, that, that's just such a cool little I love bit it. of etymology I love there. I love it so much. <laughs> um, I like etymology a lot. And every so often it's because you find something that's just completely alters your your perspective on mm-hmm. on what the language we use means yes yeah yeah no not going to be forgetting that one anytime soon yeah absolutely <laughs> wonderful i i adored it 
All right, I think we should get you talking about one of your death cards. Well, that means I have to pick one. Oh no! <laughs> um, I have brought I brought all all seven of my death cards here today, and I think they all bring something different. But you know, I was just thinking. Um, I wonder if I might just talk a little bit about the Smith Rider Waite death card. I think that's a beautiful because idea. Because I think when people start reading tarot, oftentimes they are starting with this deck. Mm -hmm. I think that this is the most um, widely depicted deck um, in, you know, in Western culture at least. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's far too much to kind of go into the history of, of this deck. But the, um, the um, Pamela Coleman Smith is the artist. And she is a, a fascinating figure, and I, I encourage anyone listening to look her up if you're not familiar with her life and her works. Um, but she created the iconography that is so ingrained in us today with regard to tarot, and so many of the decks that we read from work from this deck as a as a basis and a foundation. So most other many other decks are interpreting the images presented. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I think is very interesting about this card, um, if you, you should be able to see this card if you just Google Smith Rider Waite Tarot Death Card. I believe I didn't even, I was looking it up for this particular episode because I don't own a Smith Rider Waite, but uh, I believe you can just Google Death Card. And yeah, find uh, you're, actually, it. you're right. Yeah, just Google Death Card. This will be the first one that comes up. And to be honest, um, I have to say that I am I'm much more often reading with interpretations of this deck rather than I read with this deck itself. Um, in in part because you know there's it is very heteronormative. It is not gender inclusive. There is a number of um, it is you know it's of its time. It um, is definitely But I think of its that time. we you know we need to honor it for bringing this way of working to all of us. I think if it were not for this deck, neither you nor I would be reading tarot. So it is, it is, it's a masterpiece. I mean, it is, it's an absolutely marvelous creation. And the fact that it gives such a foundation for so many other artists to bring different, broader, more inclusive, out there, wonderful interpretations of these cards. Um, but it is, it's a fairly aggressive card mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, or maybe we could say, I don't know about aggressive, but it's, it's certainly arresting. Um, and um, so there's a lot of elements here of the iconography of this card that then make their way into later interpretations of the Smith Rider Waite style deck. Um, in this card, um, death is arriving at the scene of what might be a battle or there could have been a plague or an illness, something we know a certain amount about at this time and this point in the timeline. Um, and um, death is arriving on a pale horse or a white horse, which is um, an image that has some resonance um, from depictions of death that appears in you know, the book of Revelations in the Christian Bible. Um, it's, a, it's a very common way to depict this figure. Um, death is holding a black banner with a white flower on it that could be a rose or it could be an apple blossom or some other maybe kind of flower in the rose family. So there is this image... Um, pertaining perhaps to a sense of new life or regeneration, even in this rather 
bleak card. Um, full disclosure, we are re-recording this segment because something happened with our audio in our first go-round, and, and most of this section uh, vanished into the ether. So um, there must have been some point that we needed to make that we didn't make the last time around, or some <laughs> some point that we didn't need to make that the podcast deities went, nope, we're going to cut that. <laughs> um, uh, as I was listening back, doing some of the um, editing and reviewing of this podcast, I noticed you know, to my own interest that I, I was referring to death as he. And mm-hmm. I do think that traditionally in, let's say, European cultures and mythologies, we often are depicting death as a male figure. Um, but really, you know, this is a skeleton wearing black armor. Um, it could be any gender. And so, you know, I, I, I suspect that probably at the time this deck was created, we were, that this figure was probably being envisioned as a masculine figure. However, um, you know, death is probably genderless. <laughs> so, um, you know, they are arriving on, on this very dramatic, um, they're making a dramatic entrance on this, on this white horse and being met by, um, there's a figure in what looks like religious garb wearing, um, you know, a hat that might be a, a bishop's, I think it's a mitre, it's called. or I'm not sure how one pronounces that word, but um, a bishop's hat. Um, but, you know, this figure does not have the power to stop death's forward momentum. Um, there are children, there's uh, possibly an older person. Um so it's a it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty strong visual interpretation of this card, and I think we were speaking earlier that there are some cards that, in later interpretations of the Smith Rider Weight deck, take a different approach, or maybe take a gentler approach or a more inviting approach, um, and sometimes that is exactly the card that you need. <laughs> sometimes that's exactly the card that you need or the approach that you want to take. Um, but I do think that there's there's value in um, meeting death in this form sometimes. Meeting death in, um, in, in a more frightening form. Because I, I think sometimes what we're doing when we're working with this card is confronting the fear that the card can bring up. And the card allows us to experience a little bit of that visceral fear again, in a microcosm, right? You know, in a small contained way in the safe space of a reading, we can suddenly feel a little bit of the fear of mortality um, in a way that maybe a softer interpretation of the card, while right in other circumstances, might not bring for us. Um, So, you know, it's a card that has been interpreted in many, many different ways. And there are elements of this card um, that I like in that I see mirrored in other interpretations, like um, if you look at an image of the card, you'll see that the sun is right on the horizon. It's either rising or setting, and it's not totally clear which one it is. You might, we might assume that it's setting because this is the death card, but it could also be rising um, to reflect that death is often a transformation. In fact, almost always a transformation. And so the sun might be rising to new possibilities, even as old possibilities or lives or 
circumstances are coming to a close. Um, the other thing that's interesting about this card that uh, I'm not sure we, we spoke about last time is it the, the number of the card within the major arcana. I don't, did we, we didn't touch on that, did we? I don't believe we did. Yeah, and it might be worth noting that it's number 13, <laughs> which, am I right that that places it, is it right in the middle of the majors? No. Okay. Um, it is not. That would be the Wheel of Fortune. Okay, the wheel's in the middle. Um, maybe I'll cut myself not knowing how many major arcana there are in the deck. <laughs> or maybe I won't. Maybe I'll leave it in. <laughs> we'll just leave it in as a moment of a, a, a moment of a, of imperfection. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is number thirteen, which is a number that you know we we often associate with bad luck or or you know unlucky number thirteen, mm-hmm. um, which of course makes it uh, a number of power. Um, it's a powerful number. It has very, uh, strong associations. Any number like that is, is of interest to witches. Sometimes 13 is, I've heard it referred to as a witch's dozen. Uh, I don't know if you've ever come across that. Um, that particular term, no, but I, I have been aware that most witches do tend to really love that number. Yeah, we, we like 13s. Yeah, no, 13. Powerful number. Um, And this actually got me thinking. I hadn't um, considered this point before, but I think it might be interesting to talk about where the Death Card does fall in the story of the Major Arcana. Mm -hmm. Um, It is the second to last card on the third line. The Majors are often um, kind of arranged into three lines. And the way I was taught about that was um, that the first line is very much kind of like childhood ego development, mm-hmm. um, building ourselves an identity. And the second line, um, which again, the, the uh, death card would be the yeah, second to last card, uh, is kind of about ego death. Um, it's about taking all of that foundation that we built that was necessary in order to go into an underworld journey um, and uh, sort of deconstructing all of that so that we can get closer to who we truly are um, because identity is beautiful and wonderful, um, but it can separate us from parts of ourselves mm. when we are choosing to say, this is one thing that I am that casts a shadow. And uh, I had a point here, which was that um, the death card actually comes before Temperance, which is the last card of that second line. And Temperance is the rebirth. Temperance Mm -hmm. is us standing on new baby legs, us emerging from the cocoon and shaking our wings for the first time and finding a way to carry on in a new form. So I don't know. that, That just felt like a... I love thinking about cards, not just in and of themselves, but as part of a larger story. Yeah, I, I love that context. Um, and thank you for, for bringing that into the conversation. Um, because I think that gives, it gives a very particular framing to this card, which if I'm hearing you right, it sounds like... Um, it, it's a card that represents a stage that everyone must necessarily go through in order to grow. 
Exactly. And and it's interesting that you know the as you were saying where this card is placed. We think of death as an ending, and I think we talked earlier in this podcast about how it can represent an ending, and yet, um, you know, we might expect it to be at the end of the sequence, and it's in the it's it's a it little isn't. it's in the middle. You know, mm-hmm. it's a it's a part it's a stage of the journey, mm-hmm. um, maybe a difficult or painful stage, but one that is required in order to move forward to the next phase. Very much, and um, it's. I love what you're saying uh, in terms of it being necessary for growth. Because what is change if not growth? If things stay exactly the same, that is stagnation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the for myself, a big part of witchcraft for me is about personal growth, about personal evolution, and. Yeah, we don't want the change to happen, and we absolutely should honor how painful and scary that can be. But at the same time, the idea of not changing, of not growing, of not spiraling outwards the way that we really are meant to do uh, is even scarier Mm -hmm. and even more sad to me. Yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, when we meet this card in a reading, maybe that's one of the primary messages for us to hear is that, um, you know, your, your cocoon is too small, (laughs) (laughs) um, which is, which is a a wonderful message to get from a card that, that can be a little bit intimidating Mm -hmm. on its face. Yeah. That feels like a beautiful way to end this conversation. Mm-hmm. I think we did want to read a poem by Mary Oliver, and then I think we will say adieu. Yes, we, we always want to read a poem by Mary Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to offer you that, and then we will see you uh, at the next new moon, I think, is our plan. That is the plan. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's move into that. Yes. Look, the trees are turning their own bodies into pillars of light and giving off the rich fragrance of cinnamon and fulfillment. The long tapers of cattails are bursting and floating away over the blue shoulders of the ponds. And every pond, no matter what its name is, is nameless now. Every year, everything I have ever learned in my lifetime leads back to this, the fires and the black river of loss, whose other side is salvation, whose meaning none of us will ever know. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things, to love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it, And when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. That was In Blackwater Woods by Mary Oliver. Thank you for listening to Across the River.